0: these dream stories are naturing through us they are a biological necessity and function and just like plants they are inclining us to a
1: certain medicine hey friends welcome to the medicine stories podcast where we are remembering what it is to be human upon the earth. I'm your host, Amber Magnolia Hill, and this is episode 41. Today I'm interviewing Tokopa Turner. Tokopa is a renowned dream teacher and has recently released a beautiful book called Belonging Remembering Ourselves Home. And we speak about both things in this interview. We talk about her childhood in exile, a lost community, and finding belonging again. This idea of belonging not as a destination, but as a skill set. Talk about being grabbed by the hair and dragged into the bottomless underworld. And she shares an incredible story about physical pain, a powerful dream, the grandfather who jumped from a train on the way to Auschwitz. It's just the most unbelievable story um and ancestral healing and how healing is open-ended we talk about when a family must keep their story secret in order to survive and how that silence affects the lineage going down um and this quote from jung that says nothing influences children more than the silent facts in the background the dreaming channel is always open being in reciprocity with the world behind the world. We are literally made of story and dreams are the original stories. Why we should not be down with OPI, other people's information. Dreams are nature pulsing through us and incline us toward our unique medicine. The multiplicity of our coherence. She's such an amazing writer and puts words together so beautifully. Not all dreams carry equal weight, but there is no such thing as a throwaway dream either. Approaching a dream as if it were a wild animal in a forest. Heirlooms, the storying of objects, and what we reclaim when we make things by hand. And to feed the holy that sustains us, we must give in a way that doesn't require any more taking. I would like to mention before I play the interview, um... Tokopa at the very beginning mentions that she found me through a piece that I had written and published on my blog a couple years ago. And that piece is called Ancestral Voices, Women's Weariness and the Illusion of Linear Time. So you can find that at mythicmedicine.love and of course I'll put a link right to it in the show notes here. That will be easy to find. Um, Talked a little bit about chronic pain before on the show or have we? I, I think I talked about it um, with Yaya, I think that was episode 22. But I haven't really talked about my own experiences with chronic pain very much at all on the show. Um, I have, and have had for 20 years now since I was a senior in high school. Back pain and headaches, and it's just so complex. That's why I haven't talked about it. It's so hard to talk about and always trying to figure out what causes it and is it my fault and what could I be doing better and I've seen so many body workers and people that I've hoped can help me over the years and it's like it gets better in some ways and worse in others and it was really relieving to me to hear Tocopa's perspective on, like, of course, with everything that's going on in the world and the culture with the earth and the earth's inhabitants, of course, we're feeling it, and maybe, especially, of course, women are feeling it. Um, I actually had a splitting headache throughout this entire conversation, and the same thing happened when I interviewed Daniel Four on episode 26. I was in so much pain the whole time. Um, But I think I did all right through both of them. (laughs) Um, And it's just an ever evolving experiment for me and trying to get rid of it. I really don't want to have it for the rest of my life. I don't know if it's within my power to get rid of it. I don't know if that's the right way to approach it and think about it. Um, But I see a lot of people, women, especially posting about their experiences with chronic pain. And I'm always really moved and touched by it. And I realized that I hadn't really talked too much about it myself. Um, So I appreciate that we get into that in this conversation today. Um, And I just wanted to let you know too, that most everything, I mean, I think everything we talk about, well, except for the dreams, but you can find so much of her dream work on her website. And actually she does write about dreams in the book. So like everything we talk about in this interview Um, Tokopa goes so much further into in her book, again, in just such a beautiful way. Um, So especially the story that I already talked about with the grandfather, there's a lot more to it. And we could have just kept going and going on that story in this interview. But our time was limited. There's only so much we can talk about. So check out the book, Belonging, Remembering Ourselves Home, if you want to hear the rest of that story. I also want to let you know if you are into what we talk about and into the dream work that she has a online course coming up called Dreamwalking. It starts March 29th. Uh, and I'm just mentioning that because it's about a week after this episode's going to come out. And I know some people are going to be like really wanting to get in there. Um, and of course, I think it will happen again in the future. So her website is tokopa.com. That's T O K O dash. P A. Um, So let's learn a little bit about Tokopa before we hear the interview. Tokopa Turner is an oh, and we do talk about the meaning of her name at the very, very end. I'm so glad we did. Is an author, teacher, and dream worker, blending the mystical tradition of Sufism in which she was raised with a Jungian approach to dream work. She founded the Dream School in 2001, from which hundreds of students have since graduated. Tokopa has been interviewed by CNN News and BBC Radio and has a community of over 100,000 online readers. Her writing has been published worldwide. Her first book, Belonging, Remembering Ourselves Home, explores the themes of exile and the search for belonging. Belonging is an Amazon bestseller in the US, Canada, and the UK. It won the prestigious 2017 Nautilus Gold Award for its contribution to the field of personal growth the 2018 Reader's Favorite Gold Award for Nonfiction, and was named finalist in the 2018 Whistler Independent Book Awards. Sometimes called A Midwife of the Psyche, Tokopaw's work focuses on restoring the feminine, reconciling paradox, and facilitating grief and ritual practice. Okay, I hope you glean as much nourishment from this interview as I did. Here we go with Tokopa Turner. Hi, Tokopa. Welcome to Medicine Stories. Thank you so much, Amber. I'm happy to be here. Um, your your book, Belonging, Remembering Ourselves Home, it's just so beautiful. You know, I've I mean, I read a lot of books. I've read a lot of books. And it's rare that a book combines like the profundity of the message with just exquisite writing i mean you are so quotable like every sentence (laughs) could be a quote that goes viral um and the art and just the layout of the whole book it's really extraordinary thank you so much for this the gift of this book
0: oh thank you so much for that reflection i think um i first heard about you when you had written a post um, a, a recent post about some sort of combination of uh, an exploration of time and dream times. And I was like, I need to know this young woman. And, mm. and I think that's when I reached out to you and um,
1: thought we, that we had
0: some important things in common.
1: Very much so. Yeah. Was that the one as well about uh, women's pain? And Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I did want to talk about that the story that you share in your book it's so phenomenal but I wanted to start with and this is a a wide question but asking you what brought you to a point in your life where you had this book on belonging inside of you Mm. well you know the book is the book is an inquiry on the topic of
0: belonging and um I sort of present um my story as um, the thing that qualifies me to write about a subject that I have never known anything about, (laughs) in the sense that um, at a very young age, I left home. I left home when I was 14 years old. And I did so because my home was an abusive and volatile environment. Um, But what happened for me at that point was that I crossed a threshold into a life of um, being an orphan, and um and there was no turning back from that point and so this feeling of being an outsider of not belonging was uh, you could say chronic and persistent throughout my life except that it was governing me in an unconscious way to make decisions to try and find that place of belonging And it was only until about five or six years ago now, maybe seven, where I had um, an experience of heartbreak in my community where I live, and I had such a powerful reaction to what should have been just something that you shake off. Um, maybe, you know, certainly it, it had a heartbreak involved in it, but it it really my my entire body had such a profound reaction to it that eventually I realized that this what was happening in present time was resonating with this echo from my um, my early life story and it was and maybe more than that my ancestral story and so what had been governing me unconsciously to that point now rose up to the surface and confronted me with these questions of what really is belonging why do so few of us feel it why do we keep looking for it and um in vain and and all of these questions were very personal for me because um there was this ache that had followed me around my whole life so i decided to really devote myself to this inquiry and i actually had no idea that i was going to be a book in fact i think everybody expected that my first book would be on the topic of dreams because i have been working with dreams for 20 years (laughs) But instead, what I discovered as I asked these questions about belonging is I started to receive these incredibly potent dreams, which were teaching me a different way to look at belonging, and they were reframing for me my understanding of the dimensionality of belonging, and I began to understand it as something that isn't outside of ourselves, but is a skill or a set of competencies that we in modern times and in Western culture have lost or forgotten. And um, and so before you knew it, I was, you know, I, I say in the book that I was g- grabbed by the hair and t- taken down into the underworld, because that's really what happened as I um, was initiated by this question on belonging, I went through many, many depths, and each time I thought I understood what was, what belonging was, there was a fathom below that, and a fathom <laughs> below that, and so before you do it, I was writing a book, and it took um, it took five years to write this book, so it really has been, and, and of course now it's it's the thing that I speak and teach most about it. I should just add that. I realize now that the work that I had been doing for 20 years around dream work, the greater work or the broader work that I was doing through dream work was actually this work around belonging.
1: Mm. Well, I hope we have time to talk about um, the core competencies. I I love this, this reframing of belonging not as a destination, a place we're striving to get to, but a skill a skill that we can learn by bringing back certain things into our lives. Um, but I, we have to start with this incredible, incredible dream of the pain that you were in for so long, of a dream you had of your Jewish grandfather, and of this deep ancestral healing journey that you went on that just ties all of this so beautifully together.
0: Mm, yes, I imagined us having that conversation because I could see how much our interests and in paths and and your your readership and listenership as well intersect
1: there. Yeah, I mean, this story um, like blew my mind. It's so, so beautiful. Mm, well, do you want to tell it? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: Well, um, you can fill in the parts that I miss, okay?
1: I do have plenty of quotes in front of me, so. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
0: Well, quite deep into the book, actually, I um, begin to tell this story about, um, uh, I had alluded to earlier that there was this heartbreak I experienced in my community, and it was a time of profound isolation for me, where the friends and community that I thought I had, I was suddenly cast out of belonging with them. And this outsider status was kind of... Um, powerful initiation for me and um, one of the ways in which that initiation manifested was in pain in my body and um, I woke up one morning and I had these terrible pains in my feet really like walking on broken glass and I'd never experienced anything like that before and I couldn't walk and um that's crazy kept, too it's just out of nowhere like excruciating was, um, pain yeah and both feet too and uh um i was unable to do even the smallest of things so i lost my physical ability to to walk to stand up and do dishes to really do anything that involves feet which is everything mm. um overnight and i kept thinking well this is going to pass and but then Days went by and then weeks went by and then months went by. And before you know it, it was a year and a half of this inability to walk. And so you can imagine my life completely changed. Um, I stopped being able to participate in, in most of life and in community. And the direct result was that I was so confronted with um, with all of these questions around being an outsider and being in isolation and one night i think it was probably about eight months into this painful journey i had a dream and the dream was one of you know one of those dreams that feels more like an experience than a dream very visceral and real and um, the details were so salient and uh, quite physical And the dream was that I lived in a kind of um, refugee state. There were refugee camps and there was a curfew um, imposed upon some unseen regime. And, um, And I was out at night after curfew and at some point um i realized they had taken my boots and shoes away so i was barefoot outside and i was walking or running um, and and stepped in what felt like broken glass and it was in exactly the same place on my foot i realized when i woke up as the pain that i was experiencing in my day world so this dream really struck me because th- those images of the refugee camps and the sense of being in a curfew state were all just felt like echoes of my ancestral heritage because my grandfather was um, imprisoned in the Warsaw Ghetto during the Nazi occupation in Poland, and um, he was tortured there for three years. And they actually, um, at a certain point, put him on the train to Auschwitz to meet his death in the gas chambers, as so many millions of Jews um, had. Um, And he amazingly jumped off that train. That was so amazing. And and that's really the only reason I exist, Mm -hmm. is because of that act. And um, when he jumped off the train, he broke his foot. And... So, I just felt this, like, power. Even now, I have full-body chills just thinking about the, so what is the, just the question that emerges, like, what is that ancestral echo? What's going on in my feed? What is the connection to my grandfather? Um, And the thing about my family is that, you know, not only was I estranged from my family, but many of our family members are estranged from each other. There's one branch of my family, which is, they're very enthusiastic about genealogy, and we have the British side of my family. Um, it just goes on and on and on for generations of information of how we're connected to each other. But um, on my uh, maternal, um, the Polish-Jewish side of my family, the branch of my family tree is ominously empty, empty. And it's always been understood that we didn't know the names of those people. Everything was lost in the Holocaust. You know, my grandfather was the only survivor. His entire family was annihilated um, and murdered. <clears throat> so, so it seemed like an impossible task to get to know my my ancestry. But I rolled up my sleeves and tried to do so anyway. And besides, I couldn't leave the house, so I had a bunch of time on my hands, you know, to just kind of try
1: and understand. Yeah, did what it was feel happening. like, um, like a call, like an invitation into this lineage for you? You know, I have to say that I've
0: always felt so much grief about that part of my family and that part of my, um, my inheritance, my inheritance of the. Um, stories and the poetry and the experiences of that part of my family. But yes, this dream absolutely felt like a call, like, hey,
1: there's a powerful, chilling connection here. And you wrote, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. You wrote, I believe that your grandfather did not speak about what he experienced during those years.
0: That's right. He was one of those people who survived the Holocaust, who just, you know, um, had the idea that you should just work hard and and move forward. Um, and so he never spoke about it. And my grandmother, towards the end of her life, began to reveal some things that she had never spoken about also while he was alive. Um, and just to give you some context of how hidden it was... My mother actually didn't even find out that she was Jewish until she was in her 50s. Mm, wow. And you you can understand why that would happen, because during the war it was absolutely a matter of life and death that you keep your Jewishness secret, because if you can pass as Aryan nation, which my grandmother could because she had that, she could she spoke perfect German and she had blonde hair and um that that you would do that to survive. Um, and so you could see how that could carry on, you know, uh, after the right. war. It was very dangerous to be Jewish. So... um So yes, so I began to find these genealogy organizations. There are many uh, amazing Jewish genealogy organizations who have... The thing about the Nazis is that they were incredible record keepers. So um, a lot of the um, processing of prisoners is all recorded in different kinds of paperwork. And um, so I set about seeing if I could uncover it um, just based on following my um, ancestral name.
1: And I discovered all kinds of things. Um, <clears throat> I want to hearken back really quickly. I'm wondering if you know this Jung quote off the top of your head that you have in your book about children who grow up and like the silence yes. of those stories. I thought that was so powerful and could resonate for so many people. Um the silent facts of the background, that one. Mm-hmm.
0: Why if you have it right in front of you, why don't you read it? Because I'll botch it.
1: I don't, but we, we can look it up later. Um <clears throat> but I that was really powerful. And I'm wondering too, before we get into the rest of the story, because like I'm happy to go deep into all of it. You know, I love these stories of uncovering family stories in your trip to France and everything. But I'm curious if you see um that that silence. And that lack of information also affecting your mother and her life.
0: Oh, very much so. I mean, my mother and I have been estranged for most of my life, so it's it's it wouldn't be um, ethical of me to try and speak for her. But I can't see how it. It wouldn't, you know. So the, the gist of the quote from Jung is that that nothing affects a child more than the silent facts of the background. So the things that aren't said, even though they're not spoken and they're not seen, they are incredibly... Um, powerful shapers of the young psyche because children are incredibly porous and they pick up so much so even and you know this if you're a sensitive person that you know if you're say for instance in the room with somebody who's grieving silently or angry silently that you can feel that energy that that energy is going to affect you well imagine now take that a step further and 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 we can talk about the um silent trauma of carrying something like the experience of the holocaust and that kind of cruelty and uh, violence um and so so certainly growing up where that entire history is being obscured um i i can only fathom how that would shape somebody's ability to um, just live from their authentic heart and and live truthfully and uh, mm-hmm. and live with kindness and you know.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would imagine that <clears throat> perhaps um, learning all this and diving deeper into this lineage um, just gave you more understanding of of your mother and of that wound.
0: You know, as best I can, you know, I definitely, it, I should say that this connection for myself was um, really pivotal in learning to live with my disease in that it, um, for the first time, invited me to turn with compassion towards this pain. That this pain, whatever it is, you know, whether it has this, it's part of this ancestral inheritance, maybe there was something about my life which is privileged enough, which is stable enough which is loving enough that the pain of my family tree can now express itself in the disease that I carry. And and for that reason I can on some days <laughs> turn towards it and say, I hear you. I'm here for you. And that it, it this too belongs.
1: Mm. Yeah, you're right. I felt I was being given the privilege and responsibility to heal these ancestral wounds through their manifestation in my life.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and, and and can I just say, please. it's a big job, right, <laughs> for right? For any of us who are actually <laughs> choosing to undertake to heal ancestral lines, um, it's a it's a
1: big and uh, awful and unruly (laughs) mess that's so true it sounds um kind of dreamy you know lofty uh ancestral (laughs) healing but it's rarely simple um or easy and can be very painful and there's not always like the perfect um ending to the story you know like i i like that my understanding is that your story is not and my pain disappeared you know it's like yes it's still something you're working and integrating with Yes, thank you for saying that because, oh,
0: I just have, i just want to get up on a soapbox about this because I think there are so many so-called spiritual circles and New Age teachings that kind of equate, you know, pain or um, discomfort um, and unwellness or disease with. Um, unhealed trauma or anger or wounding or whatever it is. And I'm not saying there isn't a correlation between these two things, but it's not an equation. And um, there are many complex factors at work. You know, one of them is the ancestral piece. But then there's also the um, the ecosystem and everything that is happening for the earth right now. And why wouldn't we as extensions of the earth be experiencing, you know, tremendous, um, pain and disease why wouldn't we it doesn't it wouldn't make sense if we weren't mm. you know um and we see especially women who are the prime sufferers of uh, you know this rise in autoimmune diseases and so um so there are a lot of factors and and another one of them is actually epigenetic you know that actually those of us who have family lines which is a lot of us that have experienced um trauma and dislocation uh, from their place of origins and their land of origins and their culture of origin, um, that it carries actually through the genetic code. And we can see that survivors of, um, you know, the 60s scoop and the Holocaust and all of these, the African diaspora, actually carry in their... um, in their genetic makeup, a propensity to high levels of stress um, and imbalanced cortisol reactions, and, they, and they're 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 actually able to study this. So the children of survivors of, of these things um, have a much uh, lower threshold to being able to ward off disease.
1: Right. Um. Another quote that I have here in front of me: You right. "It's a fundamental mistake to believe that unbelonging begins with the self."
0: That's right.
1: That's that's right. Very helpful.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, I think psychology has really um, done us a disservice in the last fifty, whatever, two hundred years in this whole idea that, you know, psyche is, is some kind of um, island <laughs> mm-hmm. and that, you know, if we have a problem, it's something we need to work on our issues, you know, and it's so, it's so, you know, indicative of the culture that we live in, that we imagine that we are isolated in what we're suffering with, but, you know, it doesn't make sense sense for us to not consider the manic culture in which we live and and that um, incredibly uh, patriarchal set of values have, um, that, are, that our culture upholds and esteems has huge implications on the health and well, well-being of our bodies and our psyches so we have to begin to think in a um, in a more interconnected way and it's going to take a lot of practice
1: um can you expand on this idea related to this story and everything we're talking about about the difference between remembering and not forgetting yeah i
0: think you know people often say to me um I, I, I don't remember my dreams. Or I, no, the more popular one is I don't have dreams. And I said, well, of course you do. Everybody, everybody dreams, you know, and we're taught even that we dream just during a certain period, during our REM cycle. But I, I, I believe this is completely untrue, actually. Um, if anybody's ever had a nap, which was 15 minutes long and had a dream from that nap, which is everyone, then you know that you're dreaming. The dreaming channel is on all the time. Um, Forgive me. I didn't uh, turn the sound off
1: on those. Um, I don't know if you were able to hear that. I, I, got I that did beat. not hear it. <laughs> no problem. Okay. I've,
0: I've, got the, I've got it muted now. Um so anyway, I think we have this dreaming channel, which is actually on all the time. And when we go to sleep, we're tuning into that dreaming channel. But I believe the dreaming channel is available to us in the day world as well. And... um and we can, you know, some people call it non-ordinary consciousness. <laughs> so, there is the first attention, which is the one where we see the world day to day and we, you know, get around and we make things happen. <laughs> but then there is the second attention, which is the world behind this world, which is also very live and very open. And um, this is something animistic cultures uh, around the world practice on on a daily basis to be in reciprocity with that other world but in our world of course we don't um we we denigrate that idea and we dismiss it outright as being silly nonsense um so as a result of that dismissal we have this huge emphasis which is placed on you know the rational world the materialistic world the one we can touch and we can you know gather evidence for (laughs) and um, and so, we forget. We forget our dreams. But I believe forgetting is a choice. It's a passive choice, but it's a choice nonetheless. And I, this is really important piece. When people say they don't remember their dreams, it's not because they're not gifted, or they don't have the ability, or that they, you know, they're just stuck in that, not remembering. It's a practice. Not only is it a practice, but it's a very simple, very easy practice, actually. And dreams want nothing more than to be remembered. And so there are just a few things that you can put into motion. And uh, if anybody's interested in learning more about that, I actually have um, free resources on my website. You can search Tips for dream recall, Tokopa, <laughs> and it'll take you right there. And I have a long video, and I have you know step-by-step instructions. But basically, getting get it remembering is um, is a practice. It, it is similar to belonging. The word remembering is in remembering, so there's like the kind of I, I actually invented a new word, which is remembership. I love this work because there's an idea that there is a membership. You know, we ha- we are entitled to a membership with that other world, with that something greater, with the holy in nature. We have innate membership, but we have to remember how to belong with that world. And it's a practice. It's a skill.
1: And... <clears throat> um you just this this quote struck me so deeply you are, we are literally made of story every night something in our biology compulsively spins out dream stories in order to keep us healthy it's it was funny for me as someone who thinks a lot about dreams and about story that i had somehow never really bridged the truth, that the two that that that's all the dreams are they're just story spinning constant story spinning Yes, yes. And in fact, don't you think that a lot of the
0: cultural products that we have now, such as television shows, um, fairy tales, um, um, movies, all of these things, I think, are crafted on the inspiration of dreams. I think that it really dreams are the source of stories,
1: yeah, that makes so much sense to me even going, you know, way 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 back into human prehistory that we know story is fundamental to our species and it makes sense to me that that grew out of dreaming. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Even even let's say creation stories.
0: Why why wouldn't it make sense that those come out of our dreaming?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I really like this idea, too, which <laughs> this phrase of other people's information and how <laughs> in this culture we tend to get really hung up on other people's information and taking in, um, you know, so-called wisdom or what, whatever knowledge from others and taking it as our own and maybe not questioning the truth of it for our own lives and dreams as one source of our own information absolutely <clears throat> i love
0: um i love playing with the word originality because the word originality in its root has this word origin and um i think true originality comes out of an encounter with those origins and and we share those origins because we are all connected, but the particular in, the particular way in which our origins are pulsing through us is unique for each individual. And so when we turn towards our dreams, the way that I understand dreams is that they are nature, naturing through us in the form of these stories. So in the same way that Um, A tree produces branches and then uh, pine cones and sometimes flowers and fruit that, that dreams, these dream stories are naturing through us. They are a biological necessity and function. And just like plants, they are inclining us to a certain medicine. You know, as you very well know, Amber, that that every plant has a particular medicine, and so I think do we, and that that medicine um, comes in so many different forms, but it is inclining us into our true, you could say, purpose, and um, and what I mean by purpose is not necessarily like a single purpose because I think we have many different purposes, but uh, let's say wholeness the wholeness of who we are meant to be the life that's meant for us Mm -hmm.
1: yeah forgive me as i quote you once again but when we go inward at night we are resting ourselves to the restoring ourselves to the multiplicity of our coherence (laughs) that's fun that's beautiful (laughs) that's beautiful tell me what you think about those words Mm, uh, i guess that there's um in in living life, in daily life, I, I feel like maybe I need to be split in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, I have my interviewing someone mode that I'm in right now. And then very soon after this, I'm going to go into mothering a two-year-old mode. And that's going to be hard. And then I'm going to be thinking about what's for dinner. And then I'm going to have to pay my taxes and then go pick up my 12-year-old. And it's just um, these tiny little there's, there's, I I don't know if that is even correct. It's like, it's something I think about all the time that we are one person, we are one being, we are one consciousness, but there's all these little splinters coming off of it throughout our days. Mm -hmm. And as we age as well, you know, I think we splinter more in our consciousness in the way we like conceive of ourselves um, Mm. as we go through our lives. And maybe that comes back into more coherence later in life if we're lucky to get into old age in a wisdom keeping capacity Mm. but um when we go inward at night we are restoring ourselves to the multiplicity of our coherence it's interesting because multiplicity and coherence are not exactly (laughs) opposites but they're holding two different ideas there that again weave into one um, I don't think I made a lot of sense, but there's just something about... Oh, you about- did. I,
0: no, I love, I, love how, I love the insights that you had, and especially this idea that as we get older, that we might splinter more in that the our identity becomes more, um, what, becomes a little more uh, rigid. Mm-hmm. but um, But it could go the other way as well, like you said, as we... If, if we're consciously in this conversation about restoring ourselves to the multiplicity of who we are, it brings us into coherence. And so what I, what I mostly mean by that is that there is this splintering process that happens a lot. It happens in our ancestral lines, as we talked about, splintering off from... Our culture, our land of origin, our ways and practices um, of our people's people, Uh, the splintering off can happen in our childhood when we are told to be a certain way and not be another way. And we learn to uh, push those parts of ourselves into hiding because they are not welcome in belonging, and this splintering process, or what I call the split-off self, becomes eventually um, foreign to us. They become what I they call, I call them the refugee aspects of the self, pushed to the fringes of acceptability, left on the margins, and abandoned outside of belonging. And um, so we have this happening in our psyche, where w- w- we have this splintering process that takes place. But when we go to sleep at night, those many aspects of the self try to re-belong themselves to us. And what this looks like sometimes is nightmares or difficult dreams. Um, for some people, that's a real, that's a real uh, suffering. Um, but really I believe these dreams are just trying to turn up the volume to get our attention about something. And that's kind of how that works. It's like you ignore something long enough, it gets louder and more upset with you and more thwarted and more angry and more violent. Uh because we have we have dismissed it and devalued it and ignored it, right? So, dream work for me is this process of meeting the otherness within and learning how to re belong with it and and to find out what it needs, what it wants, what it has to offer. And it's not always parts of ourselves that we've pushed away. Sometimes it's parts of ourselves we haven't met yet, new possibilities. Have you ever had one of those dreams where you go into a house and you discover all of these new rooms and new spaces? And <laughs> those are those are dreams of finding parts of the psyche that just haven't even been mm. um, inhabited yet.
1: Oh, that's funny, Tokolpa, because I had a dream like that this morning, Oh and it was like blue velvet carpeting in this big house that I was exploring, new and like ever-expanding staircases, and I was mm-hmm. thinking today, like, I have dreams like that all the time, and oh. I wonder what that's about. <laughs> so. Well, you see, I'm so excited
0: for you, because those dreams don't happen all throughout your lifetime they're just they just come at a certain point where you're just moving into a whole new havingness around your personhood um so it's like massive growth and you can't really say what it is but maybe there's a clue in those blue carpets or the staircases like you have to look at the qualities of the dream the details to get a sense of what is the what is that character you're moving into what is and see if you can find the bridge back to waking life where i can you relate to that feeling of entering a whole new territory of who you are
1: Mm yeah yeah especially right now actually Mm -hmm. um do you Okay, I'm going to ask you now all the like dream questions that always come up for me that I feel (laughs) silly asking people or haven't found the answers for like, do you think that every does every dream have equal weight? Does every dream deserve consideration and picking apart and trying to understand or when you wake up in the morning? Are you sometimes like, yeah, I'm just gonna let that one go?
0: Okay so there's you had like 10 questions in that one question <laughs> believe it or not I'll do my best. Um do I believe they have equal weight? No. Some dreams are big dreams. Some bitch some dreams are what I would call numinous dreams where they're communications from the divine from direct from your origins. Mm-hmm. Other dreams are, it's a little bit like um, spelunking, you know. Other (laughs) dreams are, they come closer to, they're from closer to your surface. However, there is no such thing as a throwaway dream. I have never met a dream that didn't yield some significance and meaning for the dreamer. That being said, there are absolutely some dreams that I will let go because if I didn't, I would just have a full time job mm. uh, being in conversation with my dreams because the well is deep and rich and and there is a lot that that emerges from there. But it's a little bit like a garden, you know. You don't you don't keep all of the plants and some of them actually are. Um, you know, you need to make room for the ones you really want to, um, to thrive. So I think I answered all your questions. Let me know if I missed any in
1: there. Yeah. Thank you. That's helpful. Um, I guess I'll just share that about a week ago I woke and I just had this one image, um, resonating strongly from a dream and it was of a rat skeleton. And Mm. I was just like, the hell does that mean? (laughs) Like, Mm. I don't, and so I just I kind of let it go, and I, I haven't worked with it, I haven't looked into it, but I also have not forgotten it. And mm. that's telling me that there's something to look at.
0: Mm. I agree. I think, you know, sometimes even dreams from
1: your very early childhood
0: <clears throat> will continue to um, hover at your shoulder from time to time. And those dreams, just like you, I, I feel... Uh, still have a potency, still have an energy that um, is meaningful for us. In fact, some of those earliest dreams um, speak to the core pieces that we are meant to work with in a lifetime. So um, the one thing I wanted to say is I don't use language like pick them apart or analyze or um, dissect or anything like that. Um, because the part of uh, restoring us to coherence is, for me, the approach that I take to dreams, I I use the word courtship because um, I think we really, when we're working with a dream, we want to approach it respectfully and with curiosity as if it were a living thing, and that if we can learn to approach the mystery in as wholehearted and present a way, the mystery might decide to reveal something to us. And so the emphasis in the work that I do with dreams is really on curiosity. It's on the art of asking questions. And that those questions bring up um, a kind of amplification of the symbols that are appearing in our dream. And through that mysterious question asking, something constellates. And uh, you really do have to trust the unknown um, for, uh, I would say, an uncomfortable amount of time before something constellates. But it always does.
1: Mm-hmm. That's true. I was going to say, I've done a lot of work with dreams. And there's something like magical about the process of just choosing to engage and be curious and go deeper that something is always revealed. Mm. Um, and I wanted to go back, too, to what you just said um, about about the childhood. That's that's amazing. I have a few childhood dreams that I'm definitely going to need to revisit in light of that idea. But you write in your book about this dream um, of, that harkens back to your grandfather and that lineage, that that dream continues to teach you down through its many layers. Hmm. And I think that's something that really helped to reframe my own dreaming life when I realized that you know it's not like you wake up the next day journal about your dream figure out the meaning and that's it the meaning is fixed in time forever for you the especially with those big dreams the um the meanings the teachings and the wisdom tend to unfold and even change over time yes and that is a
0: sign that you're doing it right it's if you take the image of um, i love the image of uh you would approach a dream as if it were a wild animal in the forest. So let's say you're walking in the forest and suddenly a fox appears there and you lock eyes and the fox sees you as much as you see it. And you don't say a fox means your uncle's going to inherit money. You know, that's not what happens. So please throw out your dream dictionaries, you know, instead make this encounter with the fox and the fox makes an encounter with you. And um, and then something happens that you can't necessarily name, but if you're curious about it, maybe the fox will decide to approach you. Maybe you can get closer maybe you can have a relationship with each other eventually i've seen this kind of thing happen in my own dreams so um so then it's the relationship becomes a living force in and of itself and so if you're doing dream work right it's more alive when you leave it than when you started with it so if you have this that's why dream Mm. dictionaries are such rubbish because they they are deadening Mm. they say your symbol means this it's an objectifying process Mm. and and then you say okay good that's done (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. until the next dream which tries to belong with you also more successfully so so yeah so some dreams have many many layers
1: oh, i love this idea of um like i don't know belonging and dreaming uh it just that's a sweet um two concepts to hold as one <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. yeah this is this uh, connection has really become my life's work because i was doing dream work for more than 20 years, and um, it never occurred to me that the work that I was doing was actually developing the skills around belonging. And so it wasn't until I wrote this book that it, it showed me that that was the, what was happening, that the underlying question that is beneath, it's like the silent conversation below the other conversations that we have in the open is this longing to belong and when we're doing dream work we're restoring ourselves to all of those split off parts of ourselves that we talk about we talked about earlier or as in your dream last night discovering new parts of ourselves and that in that process we are coming back into coherence with our origins, with our originality, and the result of that is a natural generosity, like a fruiting that comes through our lives where we want to give away that which we have been given. And so this is the part of the process where, you know, you roll up your sleeves and put some elbow grease into it and and make something of of what has come uh, creatively out of that encounter for you.
1: Um, Before we close, let's just touch a little bit on what you... What you get into it, towards the end of the book, which is this these core competencies of belonging. so this idea of belonging as a skill is very beautiful and especially becomes um, useful and like doable or pragmatic when you give these ideas for things that you can do to to find um not to find <laughs> to come back into that state of belonging so i yeah i just invite you to maybe speak about a few of them or one that you really love i really liked the hand making um chapter yeah hand
0: handmaking is kind of an un i guess an unlikely candidate but um actually it's an incredibly powerful skill in belonging because when you look at most traditional cultures and indigenous cultures um, and first nations cultures hand making is an essential skill making things with your hands and there are multiple reasons for why this is important the first is that you know, there's this wonderful, have you ever read that book by Alice Walker called Temple of My Familiar? No. Oh, you have to read it. It's a classic. It's, it's such an a, amazing a, title. Oh, such, I mean, Alice Walker mm. is one of my favorite writers of all time. But she, um, she, it's this wonderful story which crosses boundaries of ancestry and time and <laughs> um and dream space and she um there's a, a gospel in that in that book called the gospel according to shug and uh, one of the i guess uh um the what do you call that commandments of the gospel is that um that through, through the art of create, creating, I will, will don't remember it exactly, but through the act of creating, you are reliving the thrill of your own conception. You're reliving the thrill of your own conception. And so, this is, this, when we're making something with our hands, we are are in conversation with the life force itself the creative life force itself but also everything that happens during the hand making process let's say we sit in a circle with other women while we're weaving we are building relationship we are telling our stories we are sharing our intimacies with one another we are singing the songs of our ancestors and when we do that it goes into each one of the threads as we weave this beautiful thing and the more we weave this fabric the heavier with quality and stories and history it becomes and so um but it's also a way of being in relationship with the materials of the place where you live, and so suddenly it expands into all kinds of relationships. Let's say if you are doing basketry, for instance, you are perhaps learning how to harvest the reeds which grow in the lake that. That, um, that you need to create your basket or perhaps you are learning from the indigenous elders how to consciously and safely harvest um, bark from the cedar tree in order to dry it and and make your cedar basket. And so there there become so many different kinds of relationships that you make with the other than human world in the process of gathering the materials to make this thing with your hand so there's so there's something very powerful about the process of handmaking, which teaches us to be in relationship with our own creativity and the god force or vitality, the holy um, it puts us in relationship with each other when we hand make things together, it puts us into relationship with the other than human world, with the natural world all around us and then if we gift that thing away then the all of the richness that i just described goes into the possession of someone we love which weaves them into belonging with us and with their own origins through us
1: mm. yeah i think that's what you write about with the storying of objects mm. i like mm-hmm. that as a as a verb um, and I really, really loved you breaking down the word heirloom. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah can you, can, can you, yeah. can you do that? <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me.
0: Absolutely. The origins <clears throat> of the word heirloom is... Um, is heritage right and looming like looming the weaving on the loom um
1: do you have that right in front of you i don't okay Um, i don't remember exactly what i said about that but just knowing that etymology i i mean i that's like a really lovely word you know the meaning is special but knowing that it comes from from those two ideas specifically, I think just is very meaningful. Yes, yes, indeed. I had um, a previous guest, Yaya, episode 22, I think, um, and she quoted a friend of ours, Bethany, who does broom making and teaches broom making workshops all over. And um, she said that Bethany said during that class that, you know, we want to do things that our ancestors would recognize. So they recognize basketry. They don't recognize what we're doing when we're on our cell phones. Um, <laughs> you know, they recognize singing a lullaby to a child. They don't recognize driving in a vehicle at 60 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think of handmaking in, in those terms as well. Yeah, like you're saying, remembers us to the actual like divine spark of creation and to the natural world around us and to our communities and also to our ancestors.
0: Yes, absolutely. I think the rule of thumb with that, <clears throat> if you want to be in conversation with the holy, it's said that the it's said that the holy, the ancestors, feed us and they feed us in in many ways in this world, um, in the ways that we are gifted and taken care of. And the way to feed them is to do things that don't require Require any more taking, so anything that involves taking um, energy from the world, like even battery power or fuel in your car, or something has to be chopped down, or that that there's a that there's a debt that's incurred when we do that. So if we really want to make an offering back to the holy, we have to. Um, use our own life force to make something that doesn't take from the earth.
1: Mm, That is beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you so much for everything, for this just incredible book. A friend was over yesterday, and the book was on top of my pile of books, and she was like, wow, (laughs) this book is beautiful. It's like, yeah, and it's that beautiful inside as well. Um, Mm. so tell people where they can find your book, where they can find you, anything coming up or anything you'd like to share. Oh, thank you for that invitation.
0: Well, you can just go to belongingbook.com, belongingbook.com, and that'll take you to my website and it has all the links for all the different places you can find belonging. It is, you know, it's on Amazon, it's on all, all of those, um, Uh, online retailers you can also buy it directly through me if you're in north america um, otherwise you're probably best going to amazon or one of your favorite online retailers if you have any international listeners the best place to get belonging is probably through um, the book de- book depository they actually have free shipping which is good to know if you're somewhere like south africa and you don't have access um, to the mainstream channels and, um, and what else? Uh, you know, I'm teaching a course on dream work. It's called dream walking. It's a four week course and it takes place in April. Uh, and this will be the last time that I will be teaching Potentially for many months because I'm about to sort of step out of the public eye a little bit and take some time to rest. And um, as you said when we first started the conversation, there's no quick solution to uh, chronic illness. So I'm still living with rheumatoid disease and just really need um, to listen to my own rhythms and go quiet for a while. So I hope your listeners and readers do enjoy the book, and you're welcome to join us for the dreamwalking for a while um and i think probably those are the 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 main ways oh and you can find my website at dot com, and just to know that tokopa is spelled t-o-k-o dash p-a i'm one of those
1: lucky ones who gets to have a dash in her name (laughs) (laughs) um and and your name is from your sufi childhood is that correct
0: well, actually, I was raised as a Sufi, but there is no connection to that. No. Tokopa it is my given name, but um, my parents chose it from a book of uh, poetry from different cultures from around the world. And in, in that book of poems was the name Tokopa, which is actually a Maori name from New Zealand. And so the Maori people... Um, have a creation myth and in that creation myth Tokopa is the parent of the mist Um, which is very funny because it took me, you know, you can imagine growing up with a name like that, all the kids used to tease me it's a super weird name And it definitely took some growing into, but now it seems like the perfect name because I always think of that mist as the veil between the worlds. So being a parent of that realm um, seems like an appropriate aspiration. (laughs)
1: Oh, I'm so glad I asked. (laughs) Um, Oh, Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tokopa.
0: You're so welcome. Thank you for your beautiful questions. What a lovely conversation this has been.
1: Thank you for taking these medicine stories in. I hope they inspire you to keep walking the mythic path of your own unfolding self. I love sharing information and will always put any relevant links in the show notes. You can find my blog, Handmade Herbal Medicines, and a lot more at mythicmedicine.love. While you're there, be sure to click the black banner across the top of the page to take my quiz, Which Magical Herb is Your Spirit Plant? It's a fun and lighthearted quiz, but the results are really in-depth and designed to bring you into closer alignment with the medicine that you're in need of. If you love the show, please consider supporting my work at patreon.com slash medicine stories. Um, There's some cool rewards there, like exclusive content, free access to my herbal ebook and online course, and the ability to chat with me. I am a crazy busy and overwhelmed mom and adding another project into my life with this podcast is a questionable move, but I'm also so excited about it and just praying that the Patreon will allow me the financial wiggle room to keep doing it. Another way that you can support if that's not an option is to head over to iTunes and subscribe and review the podcast. That would be super helpful. Thank you. And thank you to Marie Sue for providing the music that I use. That's Marie with two E's, S-I-O-U-X. This is from her song, Wild Eyes, one of my favorites. Uh, Check out Marie Sue, beautiful music. Thank you. And I look forward to next time. Bye.